right. Welcome back to Shellyville. My name is Michelle Clear, your host, and I am here with my, I'm still calling you a producer, even though we, <laughs> even though we know that's not absolutely true, but Justin is here in the office with me today, and we want to talk about something that's kind of uh, fresh, kind of scary, and kind of personal. Like, this is a very personal story today which I think Shellyville is my personal space. So might as well use my voice, right? All right, let's go. All right. Well, we're going to talk about trauma. We are going to talk about what it's like to feel unsafe, what it's like when someone invades your privacy or your space, and what trauma even means. So I've always said to you, and you've asked me a million times why I'm not a trauma therapist. Well, because I really try to avoid trauma at all. <laughs> you know, we've had this conversation before. I don't like trauma. It's not my thing. But trauma is really any event that someone feels that their space and their vulnerability is being threatened. So it's a perceived threat. It could be your personal space. It could be um, being yelled at. It could be touched. It could be physical. It, it's anything that where you feel that your space is being invaded. It's not just a car accident. It could be verbal. It can be, you know, hitting, fighting, all sorts of things that we can kind of lead towards the definition of what trauma is. But it's a perceived threat to your own individual saving or self. Um, and it leaves behind a feeling of vulnerability, a lack of trust, and fear-based thinking. So it's a really profound experience that can have very long lasting negative consequences based on how you process that perceived threat. So recently, I have personally been threatened as a therapist, which has never happened to me. And I'm quite grateful and quite blessed after 12 years of therapy. I've worked in places that I have been safe and have not had that kind of client. So there's some back history on this story about how this happened, because this is not a normal everyday therapist client situation. This was not someone I probably should have opened my doors to, to be honest, but I didn't have all the facts and I didn't have the knowledge before this happened. So the I'll set it up. I got a phone call from a client um, gentleman. He said his wife and his mother-in-law were fighting. They were really looking for someone who could intervene and kind of help. He didn't give me all the details of what kind of fighting they were doing. I just thought it was a little bit, you know, family conflict. I'm Italian. I'm used to that. Sure, I can help with that. I have lots of skills, right? I could do that. Piece of cake. Well, that's not necessarily what was true. What really happened and who these people really were was a situation where the person was severely mentally ill and in severely traumatized person who was looking for some kind of advanced treatment. And I'm not that person. I'm not a triage nurse. I'm not a medical, I'm not in a medical facility. I'm in private practice. So this is someone that should have never come to me, right? This is not the kind of client that I normally have. Not the client that I really want to be. But I mean, I'm also open-minded. I'm in private practice. Of course, I'm going to see somebody. And, and that's my duty to help. Like That's my license as well. So it's kind of like you got to be careful. So I didn't ask the right questions and lessons learned on this one and so many lessons learned. But this client, within 14 minutes of being in my office, really got angry with me. I mean, screaming in my face. 
and got up and slammed the door and enough to scare me that I stopped the session and said, okay, this is over, like we're done. And the client came back into the room and threatened me and lunged for me. And I grabbed my phone, called 911, and her husband grabbed her and got her out of my office. Well, I have a rating room. While in the rating room, they did a lot of damage. They threw chairs around. They threw the tables upside down. I believe it was her, but I think the man was like probably either trying to help her. I was on the phone with 911 the whole time trying to assess and get someone over here. What makes this story just so irritating to me is that the police officers never came. Not for two and a half hours. So that client's gone. You know, that person leaves and I'm in this space that's damaged, that's tossed around, that's pretty scary for me. I'll I'll admit I was very frightened. I was very upset. I was very, very vulnerable, felt extremely unsafe. And I don't like that feeling. (laughs) I don't like that feeling at all. So, I mean, you do what you do. You call back. I call the police an hour later, like, where are you? And they're like, we never sent a car. What do you mean you never sent a car? I called 911. Isn't, I mean, I've been told my whole life as a therapist, I've been told when a client is a threat to themselves or someone else that we are to call 911 and get back up for help. Like that is who I'm supposed to call. I don't know who else to talk to. I don't know who else I was supposed to call. Like that, if 911 doesn't work, we're all screwed. Like I don't, I mean, who would you have called, Justin? I don't know. Smith and Wesson. <laughs> well, that's come up a lot. That's come, <laughs> yeah, that's come up a lot. But I'm the kind of woman that if I would have had a gun, I probably would have been shot. Like, I don't have that skill set to have a gun. Yeah. I know that. Well, and you can't, like, this is a, this is probably the last place you would want to think that you would need one, right? Right. I don't want to have one. Right. I mean, a lot of people do have concealed weapons for that reason. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. This is my workplace. This mm-hmm. is where I come to make people feel safe. And it's a mental health safe space, right? Mm-hmm. I have never looked at it as if my safety was at, right. at risk. But we've been told, I mean, it, all along that if a client is danger to themselves, you call it a 911. It's like it's the same thing with suicide. It's like you go to the hospital, mm-hmm. you seek out advanced help. And so when advanced help doesn't come, man, did that leave me feeling vulnerable. Yeah. Like I did not know what to do in that moment. But I mean, in the reality, it's fear-based thinking because the client was gone. Mm -hmm. Like really, once they left and all the damage was done, I was just sitting with the aftermath. I was just sitting with, okay, now what do I do? Why do I feel so vulnerable right now? Why am I still so scared? Why am I crying? Like what it left me is what I want to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Because that fear-based thinking that it left me with was just such a raw emotion for me, something I have not experienced in years. Like I could, I mean, I can relate some of that relationship or that feeling to my childhood when I was fighting with my brother and being hurt and scared, but nothing compared to what it felt like when it invaded my safe space. Mm-hmm. So we have safe space, right? We have this imaginary space within ourselves and our environment that we trust. We entrust our environments to provide this feeling of security. And when that gets taken away from us, 
that does leave us in a really ugly, dark mental place. I have to ask, though, at what point in this whole ordeal, maybe it was the night of, maybe it was at minute 16 when all the chaos is going out there, at what point did you sit back and realize, well, Justin's coming over on Thursday, now we got something (laughs) to talk about. Oh, that did not cross my mind. When did it occur to you? (laughs) Maybe Saturday, (laughs) Sunday, Tuesday. Sometimes the material creates itself. (laughs) Yes, it does. I was not thinking this was going to be a topic. I mean, you know, I I don't like trauma. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this. I don't want to do it. I'm not a trauma therapist. I'm Mm -hmm. not, not, not. And I say that all the time. But I mean, quite honestly, I do deal with trauma. Everybody has trauma. Mm -hmm. I mean, we... How you perceive trauma is just, yeah. What I did, I will tell you my first thought, though, when she left and I opened the door, I felt God protected me. Mm-hmm. Like, I I really felt like, okay, this could have been a lot worse. There's some reason I was the person. There was some reason why they came to me. Like, why did I have to witness it? You know, like messages. I I don't know. I always feel like the universe is talking to me. I always feel like there's signs and messages and meanings behind things. I don't look at just things as simple as is. I'm mm-hmm. more complicated. My brain goes deeper than that. So, you know, of course, me, I'm looking for like, oh, do I need to change my lifestyle? Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing wrong? How am I so vulnerable? Why am I here in this? First of all, I'm in an office a professional office by myself on Friday the 13th. Like that should have been the first clue that something mm-hmm. bad might have happened. Like I didn't put that piece together until way later. I'm like, I cannot keep doing stuff that does make me vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Because I do think sometimes we have to check ourselves and ask ourselves, is my lifestyle supporting me in my mental health and keeping me safe? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, up until that moment, I would have said, absolutely. I would have said, absolutely. I'm doing everything I can to be a safe white woman in in today's society. Right. Mm -hmm. No, I'm a victim. Like, I'm no different than anybody else on this planet. I'm not immune from bad things happening. But I think because it's been so long since something like that has experienced that I've experienced that. I totally forgot that I could be vulnerable. I totally forgot that I needed protection or friends or people to care about me. I mean, this brought out a lot, a very, very real and sincere, deep need in me to feel loved. Like my own love for myself just was not enough. I needed to feel like the people in my life cared about me. And that was a really big eye-opening moment for me. Because I don't like that, right? I'm this individual. I'm I'm just a strong woman. I like to be by myself. I've I've created an independent lifestyle. I I don't have my kids around me. My family's not here. Like there's lots of people that are missing in my life that I would like to have in it, and they're just not here. So something like that happens to you, and the first thing I wanted was to be loved and and reached out to and acknowledged that I was okay. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Because I think we forget how valuable we are to other people until we feel threatened by other people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like that was that was an eye-opener for me. And I think maybe that's what's made me uncomfortable 
because I'm not used to that emotion. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ask for help. And I realize that that's a trauma response, right? When you struggle asking for help, it means that you don't trust people are going to be there for you. And that's something that I learned somewhere along the line, somewhere in my childhood, somewhere with my family, somewhere with my learning, my experiences. I've just learned that it's easier for me to take care of myself and do it on my own, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's necessarily healthy. Just to learn behavior. I mean, do you, you know what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I have a question but it it runs the risk of being too personal. Yeah, say it. Um, <laughs> I, pre- I pretty much revealed a lot about yeah, myself and okay. Shellyville. <laughs> yeah, and do you think that could possibly be a side effect of divorce? Oh, it could be. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I don't think I was necessarily that independent before I was divorced. Mm. I was always seeking a husband and seeking um, a partner and seeking that relationship. I mean, mm. I was married for 23 years. Right. I've been divorced now for 12. I definitely feel like I'm a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think a lot of that is learned. And I also think it's just, you have to make decisions for yourself. You have to decide that you can count on yourself and make decisions and and do things. And that's either that's a sign of maturity and Mm -hmm. and having to do those things. But I would definitely agree that that is probably more to do with being single. Mm Mm-hmm then you're right. And I would never put those two together until you asked that question. Yeah. No, I was, because you, you mentioned that there was at some point, there was a, an event or something along the lines that, that maybe caused you to think that way. And that was just the first thing that popped into my mind. Well, I also think disconnecting from my twin brother. Mm -hmm. So this has been kind of a a feeling in a, in a, a, a way of handling trauma for a long time. I've been independent. But I definitely feel like being on my own and having to rely on myself and not having others. Like, I'm not going to question people how I'm supposed to do business. Like, yeah, I'll seek out professional help for certain questions. But I mean, I've had to make a lot of decisions on my own. So I think it's, um, I don't know if it's learned behavior or, or just really being on my own that has forced me to make decisions that I just wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. But, you know, one of the things I really wanted to talk about today was anger. Mm -hmm. Because more than anything, I did not get hurt. Okay. So that's really important to note. I did not get hurt. But her anger, this client's anger was so frightening to me. So I want to talk about what it must be like for everyone out there that's living with someone at that level of anger, because this is a person that was unable to regulate their emotions. They had severe amount of built up frustrations. They definitely had a lack of insight of what was even making them feel that way. They had no control. I mean, this is someone that had no impulse control, nothing. Now, I'm not sure if this was someone who was impaired. I'm not even sure if this person was on drugs or alcohol because the level of insanity that existed (laughs) That's not normal. Like, I don't want to blame that on drugs, but that's the kind of shit you see on TV, right? Like, this was just not there. This was a person that had lack of empathy, and there had to have been violence somewhere in this person's past because it was so easy for this person to destroy my property. 
like that anger, like she had no problem trash in the place. Like it wasn't even a thought to her. Have you ever been so angry that angry that you've broken something? Absolutely. Yes, I have. But it was something of yours. It wasn't other people's. Um, no, I probably broke other things too. Okay. I mean, I used to fight. Here's the thing that's so bizarre. I was crazy as a child. Uh-huh. Like I had but as, as an adult, issues. like let's no, remove nothing as an childhood adult. experiences no, no, from the mix. Nothing but, as an adult. Okay. No. Because I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, there pro I could probably count on one hand the times that I've gotten so angry that I've broken something. Mm-hmm. But it was always something of mine. No, like, it was like like picking up something and throwing it. Or... Yeah, like I remember one time when I think I was 19 and we we had a dog that was the most lovable dog Aww. ever. His name was Teddy. But he had such serious separation anxiety mm-hmm. that every time we left him alone for more than a couple hours, he would destroy what he would, he would, he was so crazy. We would put him in a kennel and he would find a way to get out of the kennel to, to, to destroy stuff through the kennel or he would just (laughs) pee all over himself. And it just breaks your heart when you hear stories about about that. It was so, and and the problem was both of my parents were working. My sisters were still in high school and Mm -hmm. I was, had a job and was in college. So we just did not have, the no ability take to take him places. Mm-hmm. And so we we rehomed him and we, and my parents found an old retired guy that lived in the country mm-hmm. that w- it was a perfect fit for him. Mm-hmm. But I was so like I didn't I had so many emotions and feelings when that guy came and picked him up. I had an iPod that I chucked as hard as I could mm-hmm. in the on the at the wall in the basement and it left a little ding in mm-hmm. the in the drywall. And destroyed the iPod. I kicked really? a soccer ball into my garage one time at like, this was like a year and a half ago. <laughs> I was irritated about something. There was a soccer ball in the driveway and I kicked it into the garage and it, hit my, and it hit my lawnmower oh, no. in the garage and it broke a little plastic piece off of it and I had to duct tape it and... But, anger but to, and to get to the point right. to to get to the point to where you go ballistic and destroy some somebody else's stuff is a whole different it's level a of whole crazy. Different level of anger. I mean, this person had no empathy or thought or any any place in their mind did they think this was wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? They're so far gone into they found their a own way to, anger. She found a way to justify it with her right. within her moral compass, yes, which is I was wrong. wild. I was wrong. I said something she didn't like and she was justified. That's insane. So it is. And I don't know if that is the definition of insanity, right? Because what is the definition of insanity? It's it's acting outside of your realm of reality. Well, you can't function in this society with all our society rules going around destroying other people's property or your own. I mean, I get anger. I understand it. But anger normally has a cycle of 15 minutes. This woman was cycling like this was something. She came in mad. She stayed mad and it escalated mad. So this is someone who's living with a tremendous amount of high level of irritability and frustration. And she was looking to fight. Mm -hmm. She literally was either going to hurt her mom, herself, or her husband or me. This is not an isolated. I was not a one-on-one with this person. There were other people that were here. So it's kind of, it also makes it a weirder dynamic because the other two people that witnessed this were perfectly content 
and happy with it. And I was losing my mind. Right. I was the fearful one. Mm-hmm. I was the one, like, this is not normal. You need to all go. Mm-hmm. So we do get conditioned. Were the other two people conditioned by that anger? Were they so used to this person being so out of control that they just sat back and watched and waited to see what was going to happen? I mean, I almost Mm -hmm. feel like I was set up as a witness. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what their, I don't know what the agenda was because the police never came. I didn't get to file a a petition for mental health Mm -hmm. recovery. I didn't get to do the things that this person really needs. Mm -hmm. And that also made me feel bad and, and also made me feel like I didn't do a good job because I did not accomplish to helping them at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't ever want to see them again as long as I live. Right. Like that is not that is not a, a caseload I'm ever going to encounter again. Mm-hmm. Definitely going to be a little bit more uh, cautious. Vet people a little more before. Yes. Yeah. I need to know a little bit more about you. I need to know what you're honestly bringing in. And I also need to know your background. If I would have known her history, there's no way in hell I would have saw them in person. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just, but people out there live with people that are angry like that all the time. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, anger's real. I have been angry. I have lived an angry lifestyle. I grew up in an angry household. I grew up with violence. I grew up with verbal violence. I grew up with physical fighting. I know what that looks like. I also know the healing end of it and the apology behind it. And I know that you can recover from it because, you know, those are moments. Those are little tiny moments of anxiety or anger. But I don't think this person ever got any relief from it. Mm -hmm. And I, I... just, I feel for everyone out there right now that is in any kind of domestic abuse, any kind of situation, we don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. Now, let's play a little thought experiment here for a second. Okay. Um, let's say, let's pretend you're a police officer for a second mm-hmm. and you get a dispatch to a specific, a certain address for um, a call for domestic violence. Mm-hmm. If you are driving to, and you get very little details, anything, it's just go to this address. It's a domestic. Who do you, if, if you had to guess, who would you guess would be the aggressor in that oh, situation? The man. the man, right. Right here. And this is, this is the bizarre part. This was a 38 year old woman. Mm-hmm. This was a woman. Here's the thing. I think women are far more violent than we give them credit for. I 100%. think we've got, I think we definitely, uh, yeah, because we're verbal. We'll start out with verbal and then we'll use things. I mm-hmm. mean, she used property, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what she does at home? Who knows? This is what she did in public. Mm-hmm. What the hell is she acting like at home? Yeah. If you can act this way out in public, what are you doing at home? Yeah. I, Violence I, I, in the home exists. It is a true academic... This is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is not this is us. This is an American problem. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Well, and I'll follow up with this. If the roles were reversed mm-hmm. in this scenario, it makes me wonder if the the response time would have been different. I don't know if the police. Uh, I, honest to God, I'll be real honest with you. I'm not sure if I told dispatch if it was a woman or man. Okay. I just said it was a client. Okay. No, that's interesting. You should do it. I mean, uh, I would have to go back. I mean, my my dispatch call is under review right now, mm-hmm. so I will be getting a written copy of it mm-hmm. because <laughs> you get a FOIA request too, if right? They, but I'm, it sounds like they're working with you on it. So. They're going to work with me. Internal Affairs is going to work with me because they did not come for two and a half hours. Yeah, 
Well, and then my next thought on that whole thing was is that if the if the roles were reversed, um, who, anybody that saw that type of behavior would be in that woman's ear, like you need to get out of this. Mm-hmm. You you need right. to leave. What like, do we you... do for the poor man? I believe right. that that man was verbally and physically abused. Yeah, right. and he reached out for help because he knew it was wrong. Right. Because he's the one that reached out to he's you originally. He's the one that reached out to me. He yeah. wanted help for his wife. Mm-hmm. He knew she was in a bad spot. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like, I am I wish I was that person that could help him. I wish I was that therapist that would go in and do that intervention or believe that p- police officer. Because like you said, a police officer is going to go to the event. They don't know who's who. They got to calm everybody down. They got to assess for damages. And I have had clients. I have had female clients be arrested for domestic violence. I have actually had that experience. So it's not just man or woman. It's it's happening maybe for sure. more for women. But I think we hear more about men. Right. Men. Because men, men are typically capable of doing more damage with right. their hands. Because... Right. Because if, they're stronger physically. Right. But I mean, women are strong. Not always. Right. Not always. And, and honestly, if, you know, any, I believe that just about, you know, if you exclude the top 10% strongest and weakest people, the 80% in the middle, anybody could knock anybody out. If, at any time. W- at any time with a sucker punch. Like mm-hmm. if you're not ready for it and you don't see it coming, anybody could knock anybody out. I believe that. Well, and I also think that's what this is all about. Violence can come at any time and any place for mm-hmm. anybody. But another thing you asked me is, have I ever broken anything in anger? Well, I don't do it every day. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But if I get to that place, who knows what I'm capable mm-hmm. of? I mean, I think that's, there's so much energy and power and um, adrenaline mm-hmm. that comes with anger or or even that just comes with fear like mm-hmm. i mean i literally was shaking mm-hmm. my body was you know fight or flight are two different it's real mm-hmm. now i did not want to fight because i knew i was going to get hurt but i wasn't fleeing like i didn't want to run and jump out the window either like i I faced it. I faced the problem. I faced the issue. I addressed it. I'm like, you need to leave. I had my hand up. You need to get out. I grabbed my phone. Like I, that was kind of a fight. I didn't take it. I didn't provoke it, but I certainly stood up to it. So I think that happens a lot in domestic, right? Because someone is going to stand up after a while, you get tired of fighting or you create some of the fight. I mean, I don't know what happens in domestics. All I know is that I don't ever want to experience that. That is not the world I want to live in. And I never have. I have never been hit by a man other than my twin brother. I've never been hit by anyone. But I mean, to be threatened verbally can feel just as can feel just like a punch. Now, let me play devil's advocate for a second, which is hard to do in this instance, but I'm going to find a way. <laughs> okay. Um, that's my Justin. Yep. So <laughs> is it possible? Is is there like a smidge possibility that this behavior was the exception, not the norm? And that there was like maybe this was just a powder keg that that blew up at, and this was the worst that it's ever been? Or based off of what you saw, do you think that it's is it possible well, that this okay, was this a- could have been a starting let's just say this could have been the start of a repeat behavior okay what i found out afterwards 
is that this was repeat behavior. Okay, so you did confirm. I did did confirm confirm that that this is someone who has done this many, many times. There is a history. There is a, there's a history. How did you find that out? Um, The mother. Okay. So it was given to me through that. Okay. So I did have, I did find out later. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn from all of this? Mm. Because I learned a couple things. What did I learn? I learned that I'm not as strong as I think I am. (laughs) I learned that I really do want and need people in my life that confirm that I'm okay. And that was a big one for me, okay? This was really huge for me to admit. Um, I learned that no matter how safe someone is, there's no guarantee that you're safe. And that truly everyone at any moment can lose their shit. Like, it can happen. Mm -hmm. Like, we are so vulnerable right now with our own stresses and, and just, you know, bad things happen all the time. So I think it's really, I mean, it's really made me focus on what am I doing for my own mental health? What am I doing for my own physical safety? And what am I letting the people in my life know that I love them? How am I treating the people in my life? Because I don't want the people in my life to feel like I did, right? So what do I have to do to make sure that I'm communicating to the people that I love, that they're there for me and I care about them? So that's that's gonna that's what I learned. Like I have some I have to make some changes. Right. I have to I have to improve the way I feel towards other people and show that in a deeper level. And that's what I'm hoping I actually get out of this. That and that my landlord is amazing. And I love that man and that I really am safe. You know, safety is also an internal dialogue that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from this, Justin? That you need to vet randos that call you. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the obvious. Yeah. That's the first one. I mean, you should have heard the. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the first one. And that's what's so weird about this is that it was so. That's not like me. Yeah. Right? I told you I wasn't even taking on new clients. Yeah. I'm not even trying to take on new clients right now. Do you right think now. it would have resulted differently had you taken the time to interview them individually first? Um. Yeah, actually, that could have been a good. That could have been a good because way to do it. Because you weren't expecting the three of them to show up, were you? No, or? I wasn't. Okay. And and I well, I kind of was because I think the guy alluded to. It. Well, I asked him. I said, "Are you going to be part of it?" Because he wanted it to be. He wanted it to be the wife and the mother. And he's like, "Well, he goes, I think I should be there just in case." He goes, "They've been fighting a lot." He goes, "I think I should just be there for support." Oh, okay. So, so he, he wanted. The appointment for so she was an unwilling participant going into it. Well, I didn't realize that until sitting down in front of uh, her okay. that she was like, "Oh, this is for me," and I'm like, "No, I thought this was for everybody." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't have all the dynamics. Yeah. I didn't have all the information. So yes, I think there's a lot of things I could have done differently. I also think that once I found out a little bit more. I wouldn't have taken them. Mm-hmm. I would have just said, I, I'm not qualified. I mm-hmm. would have known immediately I wasn't qualified. Yeah. So a lot of this is my fault as well, as far as not asking the right questions in advance. But also I think this goes back to my trust level, right? I think that I'm, 
I'm all, I mean, I had a therapist tell me once, he goes, Michelle, you think nothing bad can ever happen to you, despite the fact you have facts that bad things have happened yeah. to you. I still believe in the goodness. Like mm-hmm. that truly is my gift. Mm-hmm. Like that is really what I think. Like everything's going to be fine. I'll be fine. And I actually was right in this situation. Does it was horrible. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I don't ever, ever, ever want to experience that again. I still came out okay. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I, I can see why you would say, Michelle, I need to do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you would say that. <laughs> it's not, I'm not like, I don't, I wouldn't use those words. <laughs> but it, for me and what I do for work, there are certain qualifying questions that I ask every single person I talk to before mm-hmm. I take a full mortgage application. Mm-hmm. Because if I can't, if I can't verify, you know, within a reasonable doubt for very basic things, then there's no point in going forward and doing the whole thing. Right. Um, right. So, and do you meet people out at their homes? Do you, or are people always coming to you? Like, you know what I mean? Cause this is my private practice. This is a space in mm-hmm. which people do come to me. I've always felt safe here. I will never ever so, I mean, meet somebody in per. Well, let me, I have never once met somebody for the first time in a private place. Okay. So I'm either meeting somebody at a car. Co- I'm either talk. most of the time it's a, it's, like 90% phone. I actually, mm-hmm. it's very common for me to not meet people throughout the entire process wow. or at until the closing. Okay. Um, that's pretty typical. Okay. Sometimes, um, if they're local and they need to drop something off physically, then I'll have them come to my office. So you already um, have a safe barrier put up then. Yeah. And you already have this, the question. And, and I normally t- This is what you know I do. I normally do, too. Mm -hmm. I actually have intake departments that work with me. Mm -hmm. I don't normally do this by myself. This was a private pay cash client. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That comes with risk. Yep. That's a benefit, but that comes with risk. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Asking more questions, being more cautious. uh, And that, yeah, I assume a lot of good. I really do. Maybe I should, but I don't want to change. Here's the reality about me. I don't know if I can change my thinking in a way that would make me fear-based, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if that would make me a good therapist. I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing that right now and being comfortable and saying that, I just have to work on the other areas of my life. That will make me feel more safe Mm -hmm. because I don't want to change that part of me. I think that's what makes me approachable. I think that's what makes me friendly. I think that's what makes people want to come and sit and, 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 you know, listen to me. I don't, I don't know if I could be hardened. I don't think that would work well. I hear you. I don't think Shelly would be very fun. No, you'd be grumpy all the time. <laughs> I would be a bitch. Big and grump. <laughs> that would be horrible. We don't want that. <laughs> we don't. We want, We. I mean, that's just it. The whole point of even doing Shellyville and, and having my voice out here is to say positive things, is to really increase people's confidence and to say that, you know what, this is a world of love. I want to bring more love into the world. But I also want to acknowledge that when love's not there and people are hurting, 
You have the right to ask for help. You have the right to go seek peace of mind. You have the right to go find safety. Like that's really valid and important. And, you know, people do suffer like people suffer. And how do we treat people when we're suffering? How are we managing it? How are we living with it day in and day out? There's not enough help out there. I mean, this really breaks my heart on some really profound ways because what makes me so mad about the police not coming is that client left in a rage and they could have been stopped. They could have been hospitalized. Mm-hmm. That part just really bothers me. Well, I look forward to hearing how the uh, how that all gets resolved. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is an this is an ongoing investigation. Mm-hmm. So I have some contacts. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make some phone calls. Okay, Travis. <laughs> I might need to meet him. Yeah. I need some guys. Actually, what I need is I need some strong men on my caseload or in my in my phone so I can just call for moments like that. Because mm-hmm. I don't I have a lot of girlfriends, but man, I need more male friends in my life. Because mm-hmm. there should have been some, I need some backup. Who yeah. wants to be my bodyguard? Are you saying I'm not strong? I well, you are strong, Justin, but you know, I have to admit, I called my landlord first because there were serious damages. I yeah. needed, I needed a witness. Well, I had to find out on Facebook. I'm sorry. Well, how it's am I going to okay. call? Uh, that's just it. I have to get better, right? <laughs> I have to get better at making my phone calls. Yeah. But yeah, I can see my office looking out your window. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> were you working? I was there the too. I was there. <sighs> I don't know what I could have done, but right. And that's just it. But, and that, I think that's another thing that we can leave with, with be careful who you invite into crazy, right? Yeah. Because you can't just say, I need anybody I to come over here. I probably would have escalated it. Right. You can't. You have to be very careful. That's mm-hmm. why the police needed to come. Yeah. Because they're trained on how to handle and de-escalate. Mm-hmm. There are other people, like, if you're fear-based thinking or if you're a screamer or you're a yeller and, like, yelling back or, or even threatening this person in any way would have escalated this to a very dangerous place. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I do think you have to kind of know who you're going to call and ask for help. But, yeah. So that's my story. Good story. (laughs) Good story. story. Wish it wasn't true. (laughs) Wish it wasn't a true one, but it is. And that's okay. And in Shellyville, as much as this is imaginary, this is my real world. And I live my life pretty much wide open and I'm not afraid to talk about the things that are hard and tough and we all have emotions we all have fear we all have everything that we maybe are embarrassed about like you said throwing things and and doing things that we're not proud of but I think it's about recognizing and acknowledging that we're human Mm -hmm. and then trying to make an effort to be kinder Mm -hmm. like that's the message I want to get out Mm -hmm. and when you can't be please don't disturb that to other people like your own shit belongs to you Mm -hmm. like we cannot go around hurting other people anymore yeah so that's what i wanted to leave shellyville with today great story well thanks for tuning in y'all thank you thanks for having uh, me yeah well having you it's your show (laughs) that's right it's my show thank you for coming thanks for visiting everybody um and again you can reach out reach me with show ideas at shellyvillepod at gmail.com all right have a great day thank you